Now, here's something I, I need you to do here in the beginning of uh, this message. I, I need you to tap into your imagination for just a moment, and I need, to, I need you to imagine uh, that you are attending or about to attend one of the most important events and occasion of your entire life. Nothing that you've ever been to is quite like this event, quite like this occasion. Uh, the venue where this event is being held, it's big enough for your family, it's big enough for all your friends, it's, it's big enough for all of those to whom you are important and all of those uh, who you view as important to you. Uh, and all of those people are there and everybody is dressed for the occasion. They're dressed for this moment. There's, there's music which complements the occasion, just what you would expect it to be. The lighting, it's, it's subdued, it's soft, it's, it's casting a warm glow on all the faces of your expectant guests. As you look around, you can imagine that the carpeting, it's flush and the chairs are upholstered with just a, a slight hint of sophistication. And at the very front of the room and at the very center of the room, there's a table that's reserved for the guest of honor and you are the guest of honor. And on that table is a large, ornate, expensive box. And in that box is you. Now, a little somber, a little morose, but I want you to imagine it for just a moment. It's, it's your funeral and it, it's an event like you've never been to before. And I know that's a bit uncomfortable to think about your impermanence and for me to think about my impermanence, but as uncomfortable as it might be and as somber as it might be and as uncomfortable and you know, you might be tempted to say, well, that's a real downer. Well, stay with me for just a moment, but, but this is important. I want you to be able to see it. I want you to be able to imagine what that's gonna be like in that moment. And then beyond being able to see it, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to what you hear people say. I want you to hear your friends and your family and your work associates and the people that were important to you and you were important to them. I want you to listen to what they might say or what they could say or what they wouldn't say. When they come around and they shake the hand of your sons or your daughters or your spouse, I want you to think about what they could say, what they might say, what they can't say, what they wouldn't dare say. And I want you just to listen to that. Here's the question. What would you want those people speaking at your funeral to say about you? Just not the people who may get up in front of everybody with a microphone and you know, be part of the actual service, but, but all the people and all the conversations that happen in the lobby and in the aisle and in the lobby and the foyer and all the conversations that happens in the car on the way to the funeral or the visitation. I want you just to, just to imagine and listen in on those conversations when they talk about you because they're gonna talk about you and they're gonna think thoughts about you and they're gonna have feelings towards you and they're gonna have memories of you and experiences that they've had either interacting with you or that they shared with you and there's gonna be all of that. And they're gonna talk about you and they're gonna talk with other people about you. And I want you to imagine what it is that you would want them to be saying whether it's in the car or in line or in front of the congregation that becomes your funeral audience, I want you to think about what it is that you would want them to say about you. What would you want the people who love you most and know you best, what would you want them to say about you? If they were giving their eulogy of you, whether it was an official one or an unofficial one, what, what is it that you would want 
them to say about you. Now, some of you, I know you, and, and you're thinking, this is just silly. I, I hate stuff like this. Well, this is the reason why some people, you get on their nerves because you won't think about things like this. This is important. This, this is, these are things that the scripture actually invites us to think about, to think about the fleeting nature of life or to think about how life is a vapor, to think about the fact that death is gonna be a reality for all of us unless Jesus comes back. So what would you want the people who are speaking at your funeral to say about you? Now, I was working on uh, looking over my notes yesterday on Saturday afternoon, as I always do. So I was sitting on the couch in our living room off the kitchen and Shepard comes in as he often does. He's 11 years old, but he still comes in. And from time to time, he'll sit right down on my lap and he'll put his arms around me and he'll give me a big bear hug and he'll kiss me lots of times on the cheek, sometimes on the lips. And I always remind him, I said, listen to me, son, um, don't ever get too old to do this. Now it's gonna be a little awkward when you're 24, but we will work through it when we get there, okay? <laughs> but I tell him, don't ever get over this. Just, just I, I love this. Thank you for hugging me. Thank you for kissing on me. You know, thank you for loving on me. I love it. And, and he said, dad, what are you gonna talk about tomorrow? And you know, a preacher needs not much more of an invitation than that. Oh, I'm so glad you ask. The people who show up on Sunday never ask, they just show up and listen. But it seems like you wanna know, so I told him. And, and then I said, Shepherd, so what would you want? The, my, my kids don't have a chance. I'm telling you, they, they are gonna be, I don't need, it's gonna either be good for them or not so good for them or a hodgepodge of both. I said, Shepherd, what would you want the people who love you best and know you most to say at your funeral? He had his arm around me, he says, well, I guess I'd want all the girls to say he was really good looking. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's where we are in life right now. That's kind of where, that's, that's, that's it. I said, okay, is there anything else? Well, you know, that I'm a, you know, a Christian. I said, well, that's not bad. You're the pastor's son. So that, that would probably be good. That would probably be good that you would, somebody would say that. And he said, well, that I was funny and that I was kind and that I had lots of friends. And I said, those are good. That's great. What would you want people to say about you? Uh, this little exercise is known as the eulogy exercise. It's when people are encouraged to take some time, carve some time out, and to sit down and think about this, and not only just think about it in abstraction, but actually put some words down on, on paper and make it a bit more concrete, that you bring it out of abstraction, you make it something that you can read, something that you can hear, something that you can touch. Uh, Stephen Covey wrote uh, about this years and years ago in, in his best-selling book, Seven Habits of Highly uh, Successful People, and he called it the beginning with the end in mind principle. You know, you begin with the end in mind. Whatever you're gonna do, whatever you're gonna set out to do, you begin with the end in mind. You go to the very end and you think about what you want that to be like. Because if you start with the end in mind, you know where you wanna end up. Now that's important because not everybody knows where, where they wanna actually end up. But beyond that, equally important to knowing where you want to end up is beginning to know how that you get to the place where you want to end up. So you begin with the end in mind. And some of you, some of us, we've never actually sat down and taken the time, the uncomfortable time of pausing and reflecting about where we want to end up, where we want to end up in our lives, and then spending some time to think about how do I actually want to get there. And so the idea that Covey was talking about is this idea that if you carefully consider 
the fleeting nature of your life, if you carefully consider your impermanence and you carefully consider what you want people to say about you at your funeral, you will surface your own personal definition of what success is, that you will surface your own set of values, that you will be able to surface in your own heart and out of your own soul with your own thinking, what you consider better to look like. Now, on top of all of that, we're Jesus followers, we're Christians. Uh, God is our heavenly father, Jesus is our savior. So beyond that, we have to consider what God says is the definition of successful for us, what Jesus says better looks like for us. And, and when you put all of those things together and we think about you know, the end and we start with the end in mind, we know where we want to go. And then we can spend time thinking about how we get to the place where we actually want to end up, to think about what better looks like, to think about what best looks like. In other words, what you want people to say about you on your last day, Start moving towards that today. That, that's why this is important. You start thinking about your last day today and you don't wait till tomorrow. You start moving towards that end that you have in mind, that definition of success, your personal values based on your faith, based on what the scriptures teach you about those values and about what true success looks like as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a man or a woman or as a student. When you put all of that stuff together and you think about that end, then you start moving towards that today. You start thinking about how can I leverage this trip around the sun to move in the direction of where I ultimately want to end up. And that's where we left off last week. We talked about how better is possible for all of us, better is possible for all of us when it comes to this trip around the sun that we're all currently on, jetting through space at 67,000 miles per hour, a 300 plus million mile trip around the sun how this year's trip can be better than last year and how this trip might just be the best yet. If we change the way that we think about it, if we change the way that we approach it. And so last week we looked at a really valuable piece of advice that the apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians living in the city of Ephesus. And here's what he said. He said, be very careful then. On this next trip around the sun, be very careful, not careless, not thoughtless, not accidental, but very intentional. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise. Live this year skillful when it comes to your life. Skillful with your finances, skillful in your relationships, skillful in the world where you work, skillful at all the things that make you who you are and all the things that you do in your life. Just be wise, don't be foolish, be skillful. Do life and do it well making the most of every opportunity or redeeming the time as we talked about, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil or the days are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. There is an end. There is a night that will come when no one can work. So do it while there's still sunlight, while there's still daylight, make the most of every opportunity. Then he says, therefore, therefore do not be foolish be wise, he's saying the same thing in a different way, but understand what the Lord's will is. In other words, all the things that you know you're to do, just go ahead and get busy doing those things when? Today, all the things that you know that's clear cut teaching of Jesus, 
of the Old Testament, the New Testament, all the things that make up our faith, all the things that you don't even have to pray about when it comes to the Lord's will. That's what Christians love to do. We love to pray about the mysterious parts of God's will and ignore the obvious parts of God's will. It's like, I'm praying about God's will, I'm praying about God's will, I'm praying about God's will. Oftentimes, while the same person is ignoring about seven or eight or nine or 10 or 20 other obvious parts of God's will, but they're praying about, you know, that mysterious part. You know, does God want me to shop here? Does God want me to shop there? Does God want me to do this or do that? Where does God want me to go sit in class or what school and all of that? And we just ignore what's obvious. And Paul says, what's obvious? Just do it. Because today is our opportunity for better. Forget about yesterday. Forget about the last trip. Today is the opportunity for better. We have to make the most of it because not another day may come. So then the question begins to be now is how do we do that? If today is an opportunity for better, then how, how do we make the most of today's opportunity for better? How do we make the most of it? Is it by sitting down and coming up with a list of things to do or a list of things that I need to not do? Is it about New Year's resolutions and how many I can make and how great they can be and how memorable I can, I can make them and I can print them and I can post them and I can put them on my phone? Or is it about just setting goals for the sake of setting goals? Is that where new begins? Is that where better begins? Is that where making the most of today begins? And I'm not against any of those things. If you know me, I'm, I'm all for those things. And we'll talk more about that next week. There's nothing, nothing wrong. That's actually a part of it, but it's not the part that we're talking about today. Lists of to do and not to do's. That's not the beginning of better. That's not the beginning of God's definition of success or even your own definition of success. That, that's not where it begins. Better doesn't begin with a list. It doesn't begin with boxes to check. That's, that's the way the self-help industry has taught us to think. We all like to think in lists because it's a, simple, you know, a sense of accomplishment or advancement or progress. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not where actual better begins. Better begins with who you want to be not what you need to do. It doesn't begin with what you need to do, it actually begins with who you want to be. We love to think that better begins with, oh, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to stop doing. And, and if, I can just, if I can zero in on this list, if I can just check these boxes in this trip around the sun, I'm telling you, I, I'm gonna get better, I'm gonna become that man, I'm gonna become that woman that God wants me to be, that I wanna be, that my kids need me to be, that my family needs me to be, that my work associates need me to be, that my community, my world needs me to be. Better begins with who you want to be, not what you need to do. And that brings us back to the eulogy exercise and why it's so important and why it can be a transformative thing if we would just give some time and think about where we want to end up, to think about in the beginning, the end, to begin with the end in mind, because that offers a clarity that few other things can offer us in our day-to-day -day life. If we go to the end and we know where we want to end up, it all of a sudden makes today clearer. All of a sudden it offers me greater clarity today. And the more clarity that I have today, the better that I can make the most of every opportunity that I have and you have for better, for good, for right, for advancement, for growth, to be who I ultimately want to be. So when you think about the person 
that you want to be in the end. When you think about the person that you want the people that you know and that you love to see in you, to experience, the people who get behind the curtain, the people who get you know, behind best foot forward first, the people that you let in, the people who know the good, the pretty, the ugly, the not so, you know, all of that, the people who know all of you better than anybody else knows you, what do you want them to know about you? What do you want them to see in you? What do you want them to hear from you? How do you wanna make them feel? What kind of person do you want to be in the end? And when you know that, that's the beginning of different. That's the beginning of better because I, I, I would wager that most of us, we are not there yet. If you are, come take this microphone and guide us in the ways, you know, you know all wise one. But, but most of us, we're not exactly where we want to be. So we start with the end of mind and we start today. So better begins with who, not what. Who do I wanna be? Not what do I need to do? What do I need to do? It's important. We love to think about what do I need to do? We love all of that. But better begins with who do I want to be? Who could I be? Who should I be? That's where it begins. Now, all the other stuff, it's important. And as I said, we'll talk about it next week. But I just wanna drill down and I wanna drill into you the thought of who do you want to be? Because who we want to be provides us insight for what we need to do. And it's just that simple. And I'm gonna tell you the same thing about 150 different ways today. So that when you leave here, it's so in your head and so in your heart that you can't get away from the thought of who do you wanna be? That you wanna start today with the end in mind and knowing today with the end in mind who you want to be, all of a sudden you begin to see today with the clarity of knowing what you should do. You don't have to pray about it. It's like wisdom. It's like God just deposits into you wisdom. As Paul said, be not unwise, but wise. When you think about the end in mind, you all of a sudden get wisdom for the moment. You get insight. You live life with insight. You see things ahead of time rather in hindsight, looking back, figuring it out after the fact. You begin to be able with insight to look into your life today and to know what it is that you need to do, but only, only when you've wrestled with the question of who do I want to be? Now, the scripture gives us this principle of who before do. You know, who comes before do? Before you worry about what I need to do, think about who do you want to be? And the scripture introduces us to this principle over and over and over again. So oftentimes when, when Jesus was teaching, Jesus would teach in such a way that he would speak an identity over someone before he would ever invite them to a responsibility. He would give them an identity so that they would understand intuitively what their responsibility was based on their identity. In other words, he would tell them who they were or who God wanted them to be. And when he spoke to them about who they were, or who God wanted them to be, they all of a sudden began to intuitively figure out what they needed to do. That's how it works. Uh, Jesus would do things like this. He says, you're sheep, you're sheep. That's who you are, okay? If you're sheep, then let's figure out what we need to do. 
We need to listen to the shepherd. We need to follow the shepherd. We, we don't protect ourselves as sheep, so we need someone to protect us. We're kind of dumb, so we need somebody smart to teach us. And so all of a sudden, we begin to figure out what we need to do because we understand who we are. He says, you're fishermen of men. That's who you are. Now, I think you're smart enough to figure out what you need to go do because now you know who you are. So if you're a fisherman of men, you've got influence to leverage, you've got relationships to leverage, you've got a platform, you've got opportunity, you've got a circle of friendships and relationships and work associates. Oh my goodness, you're a fisherman of men. Now you kind of know what to do. He said, you're, you're the light of the world. That's who you are. And when you start knowing that you're the light of the world, it kind of, kind of gives you some clarity about some of the things that you need to be doing. You're the salt of the earth. You're to hold back decay and corruption. That's who you are. So now you kind of know that you need to do some things based on being salt. You hold off corruption. You don't add to it. You ward off decay. You, you, you don't invite it. You don't participate in it. You're children of God. So the apple isn't to fall far from the tree. So you're, you're to be an expression of your heavenly father in this world so that when people see your good works, they will glorify your father in heaven because somehow they will connect who you are and how you live your life with your heavenly father. Knowing who you are, it begins to inform what you're supposed to do. And so Jesus did this over and over and over and over again because who comes before do? Who is the beginning of better? Not do. Who do I want to be? Who do I want to become in the end of things? When I take my last breath, what do I want to take that last breath being? What kind of person? Not doing, but what do I want to be? When that heart stops and my lungs quit, what do I want to be? And so Jesus, again, he did this so many times. I just wanna give you a few, I'm gonna throw them at you fast. Again, all of these notes are on our app. You can get them there, but, 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 but these are things that are not up for discussion. This is who Jesus says, this is who your heavenly father wants you to be. This is, this is who you are. This is who you're to become. And he gives us things like this, and you, you've heard these things. We are a people who forgive. See, we're not people who make forgiveness something we do. Jesus made forgiveness a part of who we are. He says, you follow me, you're children of God. When people, when people offend you, when people mistreat you, this is not a to-do list. Forgiveness is not on your to-do list, it's on who you are list. This is who I am, this is not what I do. I don't forgive because it's the right thing. I forgive because it's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus and, and my heavenly father said, this is, this is who you are as a son or a daughter of mine. We're not a people who hold to grudges. We're not a people who harbor bitterness. That's it's not who we are. And it's not what we do, but it's not what we do because it's not who we are. We are a people who are blessings. That's who we are. And, and when you begin to see yourself, hey, I wanna be a blessing. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you get clarity on some things you need to do. It may not be on the page in black and white, it may not be red letter, but when you know you are to be a blessing, when you're supposed to even bless those who mistreat you, you bless your enemies, when you're to be a blessing at the workplace, a blessing in your home, a blessing in your friendships, when you're to be a blessing and not a curse because that's who you are, all of a sudden, you've got some insight on what you need to do or not do. We're people who don't worry because we trust God. 
We believe that he knows the hairs on our head, that he's gonna take care of us. So we don't, we don't fret about what we're gonna eat, what we're gonna wear. We're, we're not over in the corner needing, you know, someone to always constantly, you know, coddle us and, you know, pet on us because we're so worried and what's gonna happen and how are we gonna be and how's it gonna work out? No, my Lord, we're not those people. That's not who we are. We're a people of faith. We're a people who trust God. We are people who are grateful and generous. We make these about doing when we really ought to change our mindset to shift to think this is who I am. I am grateful because of all that I've received. I am grateful. It's not only what I do, but first it's who I am. I'm generous. I've received the generosity of God, yes, but I am generous because this is, this is who God has called me to be. This is where God said, this is where I want you to end up. I want you to be grateful. I want you to be generous. We're good stewards. We're supposed to be good stewards of our body. We're supposed to be good stewards of our relationships. We're supposed to be good stewards of our finances. We're supposed to be good stewards of our children, of our families, of the local church, of our influence. We're supposed to be good managers, good stewards. That's who we are. And when you think of yourself, hey, I'm a steward. I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. I'm a steward. All of a sudden, you begin to figure out some things you need to do and not do because you started with the who in mind. We are people who free, who are free. That means we don't get mastered by anything. We don't get mastered by medication or by drink or by habit or by people. We're not mastered by any of those things. We have one master, his name is Jesus. He is our Lord, we follow him. And to be mastered by anything else, to put anything else in control of our lives, it's not who we are, it's a betrayal of who we are. We are a people who are full of life because Jesus invited us into a rich and satisfying life to the full, John 10, 10. We are a people because we are full of, that's who we are, we're full of life, full of it. So we laugh and we have good times and we have great experiences and we try to get the absolute most out of life. We don't sit around and just let life pass us by. No, we go after, we chase life, we live it to the full. We get the most out of it. If it was a sponge that was wet, we are absolutely trying to get every last drop out of it because he offers us life to the full. We're people who honor and serve others. That's who we are. So it begins to help us figure out what we're supposed to do. We're people who are of joy and peace. Joy is not a to-do. Peace is not a to-do thing. It's a who thing. Jesus, I give you joy, I give you peace. That's who you are. So I, I can figure out some things. We're people who say no to ourselves and yes to betters. If you're gonna follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. You know these things. We're people who love our neighbors, all of them. That's who we are. When we know who we are, when we start with the end in mind and we know where God wants us to end up, when, when we think about where God wants us to end up and how that influences where I want to end up and, and we get those things in alignment, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I get wisdom today. All of a sudden, I get insight today. I begin to know the choice to make, the decision to make. All of a sudden, I, I see those two paths and one is heading in that direction and one isn't and I, I, I just know. It's not as though I'm confused about what not to do. When I begin with the end of mind, I know one gets me there, one doesn't. You're a mom, you're a dad, you wanna end up somewhere. One will take you there, one path won't. We almost always know which one will when we begin with the end in mind. 
And this is just a little snapshot. And, and these types of things are all throughout the scripture. Who we are to be as men and women and husbands and wives and moms and dads and young men and young women and who God wants us to be. And when we think about that end and we draw all of that wisdom back to this moment, today then becomes an opportunity to make the most of. And for you, you may have other things that you can add to that list. It, it may be about being a better dad. And when you wanna be a great dad, I mean, you wanna be a great dad as, as God would define a great dad or as the scripture would define a great dad. And, and you begin to think about that end in mind, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you can see better today about what you need to do or not do as a dad. When you know as a mom, what kind of mother you wanna be and what you want your children to think of you in their heart of hearts or think about you in their deepest thoughts. And when one day they perhaps have to get up and say something, you don't want them to have to lie or force it or any of those things. But when you know the type of mom you wanna be, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you have clarity today. You can see things clearer today about what to do, what not to do, because it offers insight, it offers wisdom. Think about this, this trip around the sun can be the best yet, not because of what you do, but because of who you become. The goal is not to get to the, the end of this trip around the sun and say, I checked all the boxes. I, I, I kept all the resolutions, I kept all the commitment. That's not the goal. The goal is to, Think about who do I want to become this year? Who do I want to become on this trip? And so that's where we start. We start with who? Who comes before do? That's what we focus on. But what happens is, I've not told you anything you don't already know. But what happens is we lose focus. What happens is we lose perspective and we take our eyes off the end. We take our eyes off of where we ultimately want to end up. We, we take our minds off of the ultimate destination of where we know that's best, that's better. God says it, I believe it, that's where I wanna end up. And, and we kinda, we kinda, we forget about it. We still know it, but we kinda practically forget about it. We live our lives as though we've totally got amnesia about where we wanna end up. We live our day-to-day -day lives and we make choices that actively actively undermine where we want to end up. That's just how we are, that's who we are, that's who I am, that's who you are. So we have to focus, constantly focus on the end. This is another piece of advice that a writer in the New Testament, we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but, but the writer of Hebrews gives us a similar starting point for some advice. He says, we must pay attention, the most careful attention, sounds a lot like Paul, be very careful then how you live your life. We must pay the most careful attention therefore to what we have heard, all the things, all the truth about who we are so that we do not drift away. We know where we're supposed to end up and if we take our mind off of it, we take our focus off of it, we will begin to drift away from where we ultimately want to end up. Our lives will become passive and not active because that's what drifting is, it's just, passively drifting away from the actual harbor that you want to end up in. Drifting is when you take the hands off. It's like, you know, I'm, I, I don't know, I'm just not gonna be intentional anymore. I'm not gonna live on purpose anymore. I'm, I'm not gonna be, you know, so vigilant anymore. I'm just, gonna kinda, I'm just gonna kinda go with the flow. I'm just gonna kinda go with my emotions. I'm gonna kinda go with how I feel. And we take our hands off and all of a sudden we begin to drift. Now this is true in every part of life. This is true, you know, practically in business and leadership and relationships. You get your eyes off the, off the goal and you drift. 
You just, you drift away. Corporations call it mission drift. Churches experience vision drift. Christians, we, we experience drift all the time when we know where we wanna end up, but we, we start moving away. We pull up anchors and we don't even realize we're doing it, but we pull up the anchors and we begin to passively drift from the very place that we want to end up. Now, who does that? I do that. We do that. And that's why he says, you gotta be very careful to pay attention to where you wanna end up. Pay very close attention because if not, you'll drift. You'll lose ground. You'll move away from the very place that you want to intend on being in the end. Now, you know this, drifting doesn't happen all of a sudden. It happens a little bit at a time. It's not all of a sudden, it's slow. We slowly drift. It's not, it's not a rampage. It's not, it's not water rafting. This is just a slow drift, sometimes imperceptible. Sometimes by the time you notice, it's almost too late. It's almost crisis management by the time that you notice, oh my goodness, I've drifted. And here's something else to think about, and we'll talk about this next week. We all get to where we ultimately end up very slowly. Our destination in life, whether it's the good or the bad or the positive or the negative or the healthy or the unhealthy, all the places we end up, we get there one step at a time. One step at a time. We don't get there overnight. We don't get there by one giant leap. And he's warning us about this slow drift that often happens without noticing. And some, some of us right now, we may be caught up in the drift and not even know it. We kind of know where we want to end up. We've thought about it. We've got it in mind. And, and maybe you've heard everything I've said and you're like, yeah, I, I, that's where I'd like to be. Because everything we've talked about thus far, if we end up there, you know what? We're better in every area of our life, every area. But what happens, we get distracted, we get overwhelmed, we, we get busy and we drift. And don't ever forget this. People rarely, if ever, drift towards better. We rarely ever drift towards faith. We rarely ever drift towards discipline. We almost always drift in a direction that is not our best. That's the way it is. Someone wrote this, said, look at how silent and unnoticed the pool of drift is. If it, is, if it disturbed us, if it jarred or jolted us, if it drew attention to itself, this might be enough to put us on our guard. But look, no such warning signal is ever given. No alarm bell is ever sounded. We drift away softly and silently like a ship floating down the tide. The life of drift is a pathetically easy course to follow. It just is. It takes no output of energy to float down a stream or to be carried forward on the crest of a running tide. All that's necessary for a life of drift is to relax, do nothing, to cease struggling and to submit to the unhealthy influences within us and around us. He says, be very careful with your attention. Be very intentional about your focus because otherwise you will drift. You will drift out of control even though you feel like you're in control. And I wonder how many of us right now we're caught in the drift. There's no alarms. We're not worried, we're not concerned. But the reality is we're drifting. We're drifting away. We've pulled up anchors somewhere. 
Instead of anchoring to who we want to be, instead of anchoring to God's definition of better and best and good and right, instead of anchoring to the end that we all kind of have in mind, we pull up the anchors and we drift away from the very place that we want to be. We drift in an unhealthy direction. You wanna be that type of mom, that type of dad, that type of husband, that type of wife, you know it. You can write it down, you could tell somebody about it. But you're actively drifting in the opposite direction. You wanna be this kind of son or this kind of daughter and you wanna be this type of college student and you wanna live, live this season of your life different than some of your peers and you, you've, you've got an end in mind but you're actively right now, you've pulled up anchors in some areas and you're drifting in the opposite direction. You've gotten too busy to think about it. You've gotten lazy, you've procrastinated. You're, you're a little bit stubborn. Maybe I've become a little bit rebellious. Maybe, you know, I, I, just, I, I just don't even want, I, I just trust myself more than I trust, whatever it is. And so the writer says, so see to it. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away or drifts from the living God. And he reminds us that the heart of every sin is unbelief that when we distrust God, it's only a matter of time before we disobey God. When you and I question whether God's end for our lives is what's truly better, what's truly best, where he wants us to end up, who he wants us to be, who he wants us to become, when we question whether that is better and best, it's only a matter of time before we drift on purpose. It's only a matter of time before we pull up anchors and move in a direction that we would rather go. When we disbelieve that his plan is better than my plan, we will turn away. We will turn away from where we wanna end up. He said, because we have been deceived. <laughs> but encourage, he says, but encourage rather one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful. It just is. Our hearts are deceitful. And when you get our dece deceptive hearts with sin's deceitfulness, I'm telling you, some really goofy, crazy things can happen. Sin says, hey, I will convince your deceptive heart that what's wrong is right and what's right is wrong. I will convince you, says sin, to your deceptive heart and my deceptive heart. I will promise your heart happiness. But in the end, what your heart doesn't know is it's only going to be miserable. Sin says, I will promise fulfillment, but in the end, I'm going to leave you empty. I'm going to promise you life, but in the end, you're going to feel dead. He says, so don't fall for it. This is the age-old game of the deceitfulness of sin and the deceptive nature of your own heart that will try to convince you that your drift and my drift away from where God wants us to end up is in some way better, that is in some way good. And if we don't watch, we will bite into it hook, line, and sinker. Sin will hide all the consequences. Say there'll be no consequences. It won't hurt you, it won't hurt anybody else, everybody's gonna be fine, so you just drift. You just drift and fall off the cliff and you're gonna be fine and everybody else is gonna be fine. And the writer says, don't fall for it because sin loves to attract you 
And then sin loves to attack you. So this is a serious matter. So don't, don't be led away from where you want to end up by a lesser desire. Just don't do it. And so he keeps on writing. He gets to some verses. And this is where we wrap it up. He gets to some verses that we've heard before. But, but he's telling this overarching story throughout the whole letter to the Hebrews. He says, now faith, this is the opposite of drifting. This, this is the opposite of turning away. This is the opposite of being deceived. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for. It's the assurance of what we do not see. And he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. And he goes through that big hall of fame, chapter 11, you know, by faith, Noah, and by faith, Moses, and by faith, Abraham, and Sarah, and Rahab. And he just lists all of these people who refused to drift, who refused to pull up anchors. No, they weren't perfect. No, they didn't get everything right. Did they screw up some really bad things and some really bad ways? Yes, but they refused to keep drifting. They refused to keep turning away. And so he says, faith is different. Faith focuses on the end that God has in mind for all of us. And then he throws this in. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then he, he kind of does what preachers do, you know, towards the end of sermons. Everything I've said up into this moment, I'm gonna tell you why I said it. And so he gets to the following chapter and with everything else in mind that he said, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, don't forget people are watching, don't forget. Don't forget that you do better when you are mindful that people are watching. Some of you, the reason that you tended your windows is because no one could watch. When you're driving down the road and you have that little sense of road rage, you could extend them the right finger of fellowship and nobody would know. Because we know that when people see us and when people are in proximity, it causes us to live different. We change our behavior based on who's watching. And he says, listen, people are watching, your kids are watching, your family's watching, your friends are watching, your coworkers are watching, strangers are watching, heaven's watching. So there's a whole cloud of witnesses. So let us throw off, and it's, he's saying the same thing with different language. So let us throw off everything that hinders, that slows you down, that robs you of potential. Everything that hinders you from getting to where you wanna end up. And the sin that so has entangled you that you can't move in that direction. You're entangled, you're weighted down, you're drifting. He's saying the, the same thing, three different ways. So that we would ask ourselves some questions. First, what is preventing me from moving to where God wants me to end up? What has weighted me down? What has slowed me down? Maybe what has got me stuck. It, it may not even be a sin, but it's got me so heavy. I can't move in that direction anymore. It's like a, I'm stuck. And I, I've been stuck so long, maybe I'm even drifting further away. And what's the sin? What's the sin that's got me so up, tangled up and tied up and you tangled up and tied up that... You can't become the person that God wants you to become. You can't be the person that you even wanna be because there, there's just some stuff that's holding you back. 
you're drifting, you're tangled, you're weighted down because you've gotten some ruts. And that's where we pick up next week because 50% of your life, it's just a rut, it's habit. And it's either working for you or it's working against you. Because 50% of our day, it's just autopilot. Our brains are not even engaged. We're operating out of the habits of our life, the choices that we have repeatedly made. And all of a sudden now we're living half of our life without even thinking about it. And that's either a really good thing or a really terrifying thing. So what about my life needs to change? What about the choices that I make repeatedly over and over and over again? But before all of that, I know who I wanna be. Am I moving in that direction or am I drifting? Am I so weighted down? Am I so tangled up? Where am I in all of this? What am I holding on to that's holding me back? What, is, what, what have we justified and rationalized and we've got an excuse and we've got a reason and, but it's not moving us in that direction at all. What is it? Chances are, once we know who we wanna be, we can see those things with terrifying clarity. And so he says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, who can show us where he wants us to end up, the person that he wants us to be, the pioneer, perfecter of our faith. This week, as you wrestle through and think about who you want to be, where God wants you to end up, I want you to ask this question. What would the person that I want to be What would the person I want to be do? Because once you know who you want to be, (laughs) you and I will know what we should do, what we shouldn't do. What would the person I want to become? I want to be healthy. What would that person do? I want to be grateful and generous. What would that person do? I want to be free from this habit. I want to be free from this thing. What would a free person do? I want to be a great dad. I want to, I want to be a great mom. What would a great mom or dad do? I want to have bigger faith. I want to have deeper trust. I, what would a person of great faith do? Everyone has to start somewhere. So start with who? Who do you want to be? Who does God want you to be? And make the most of today in making sure you're moving towards that destination. And next week, we'll talk about some of the most practical strategies to make that happen. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Father, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us to think about who we want to be. Who that person is. Let us think about those people who will 
speak at our funerals and tell stories about us. And if they tell the story about the real me, the real us, what do we want that to be? And let us begin to have clarity today based on who we wanna be, knowing today what we need to do to move in that direction. And I pray you'd give us the grace. I pray that you would give us the desire to be honest if we're drifting, if we're weighted down, if we're tangled up. And that today we would make the most of the opportunity to say, I know who I wanna be. I know who I wanna be. And today, I'm gonna make steps in that direction. In Jesus' name, and everybody said,